You want to intro us this time? Sure. Uh, hey, everybody. It's uh, the Dull Crans. I'm Gabriel Zuger, uh, educator and podcaster. And with me, as always, my co-host. Uh, I'm Julian Ambler. Uh, I'm just Gabe's friend who happened to have some audio equipment. <laughs> Um, it came in handy. Yeah, and uh, you know, each week we get together and pretend like we're going to talk about an education topic, and then mm-hmm. mostly just record a meandering conversation. Yep, yep, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, for clicks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is this is the clickbait of podcasts. Yeah, uh, all of these we've got are, all the podcast titles for each episode are like. Watch this epic fail. Woman falls into a pole. Uh, then people click on it, and it's just audio. How how to lose fifteen pounds in seven hours? Yeah, but you could have a podcast about that. <laughs> but but would it be a weekly podcast, or is that just one episode? Well, like if you want to lose more than that initial fifteen, you need to get to the next installment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. The way I see it, like, you do one of those a day, by the end of the week, you weigh 30 pounds. Yeah. Gold weight. Yeah. That was the plot of the movie Thinner, if I recall, right? The the Stephen King book? It was, uh, it was that a guy was just listening to a podcast that was helping him lose weight until he I weighed I think you're thinking about The Machinist. <gasps> That was the machine. I always get those two Which confused. Which is a prequel to Batman Begins. That is. That's right. Before he put on the weight, he lost all the weight. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the, the tragic thing about the Batman movies are that, you know, you realize from watching The Machinist, the prequel, uh, that he has schizophrenia. And that's why he's crazy. And he goes right. out right. and he beats up criminals. And also that all the women Bruce Wayne dates are actually... Escorts. Yeah, I mean he's got the money. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, uh, we <laughs> wanted to talk about a book that is not thinner. I mean, it's actually a pretty thin book. But, Very thin book. Uh, it's a uh, Shel Silverstein, a classic children's author. Uh, he wrote a book called ABZ Book, um, which Uncle Shelby's ABZ Book. That's true, though that's not on the cover. It is. It's right oh, here. Oh, yeah, it is. It's just those letters are too small for me to read. They're very thin. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Uncle Shelby's ABZ book uh, originally started when Shel Silverstein worked for Playboy. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, he was... Uh, he was the original cartoonist for Playboy. Yeah. Um, you know, and for those of you that don't know, Shel Silverstein is the author and artist behind, you know, Where the Wild Things Live and... Nope, nope, nope. Maurice Sendak. That is Maurice Sendak. Yeah. Uh, another author, illustrator, and another creep. I mean, like, yeah. you know, since yeah. that's where we're going to get in this episode, it's uh, it's creepy to be uh, a children's author and illustrator. Yeah, apologies. Shel Silverstein <laughs> famously wrote Margaret... Uh, God, it's... Hey God, it's me, Margaret. And Mein Kampf. That's not a children's book. Wait, that doesn't oh, fit the, oh, this, oh, the pattern of the joke. Damn it. You're right. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, do you want to give some of uh, Shel Silverstein's discography? 
I guess his his actual discography. His oeuvre. Yeah, his oeuvre, 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 which in English Wav. means egg. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he actually wrote um one of uh I mean one of uh, educators most nauseating books, The Giving Tree, um, which is a really weirdly misogynistic work um but that's that's probably for another episode so the giving tree it's misogynistic yeah i thought it's well like you mean like the tree is supposed to be a woman well the tree is has very feminine characteristics yeah but isn't the but, whole point that like everybody takes and takes from this woman but and she, she gives and gives and it's yeah. never enough and, and, she, and she gives until she's nothing right exactly yeah and the but isn't that, wouldn't you say that's more a critique on, like, people who just take and take from maternal figures? But who do we, but the, the question then becomes, who do we identify with in the book? And I would say that most people don't identify with the tree. They identify with the little boy who is asking for things and wanting things. But you don't leave that book going like, oh, that heroic boy... Uh, got everything he wanted in that stupid. But he's tree not a game. hero. Protagonists often that... aren't heroes. No, but, but my point is, is that like character. you identify with the boy, and at the end you get to the end of it, and you're like, oh shit. Sometimes I can be that boy, and I can ask too much of my mom or whatever, or the environment or whatever. That the the point is that it's you identify with the boy, but the book critiques the boy, and yeah. so the book critiques you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wrong because people should critique books. I'm weirdly reminded of this story that I'm I'm never going to remember where I heard it from. Also, books right are now. made from trees. Books are so, made. Like, I mean, I wonder what the trees critique of the book would be or like a tree writer's review of the book would be. I don't know. I trees don't know. trees don't talk, trees don't, don't write reviews. <laughs> but see, that's why we identify with the boy cuz trees don't give things they don't give of themselves. That just, like, happens. We just take. It's not really a giving tree. Yeah, I mean, like, the tree can't choose not to give us stuff. Wait, now I can't remember where I know this story from, but there is, um... No, 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 I can't tell it. It's from another podcast. Never mind. Okay. I'm not gonna do it. Okay. Um, Stealing somebody else's material. Are there any less treacly books oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so back to his discography so uh the giving tree he wrote uh the poem anthologies of uh where the sidewalk ends and a light in the attic um he also has one called the missing piece um which actually does have a beautiful moral to it um and also the very funny uh runny babbit which uh, uses, you know, a literary device unlike any other, where he's switching the words of the important nouns or verbs in each uh, in each line, so that they come off sounding like nonsense rhymes, uh, like nonsense words. So, bunny rabbit becomes runny babbit, and runny babbit is the protagonist of it. Um, anyway, terrific, terrific author. Uh, very strange mm-hmm. um and as as definitely evidenced by this story uh which i think we have to give atlas obscura credit uh for drawing our attention to it 
Yeah, and not quite a story. It's, no, it's, it's more. Uh, it's structured like um, an ABC's book that you would give to a child. Oh, that would I, be just, like I just, I just meant, I just meant a, the story that he was the author. He was the cartoonist for Playboy. Oh yeah, and that this was his actual first published book. Yeah, as yeah. a result of that work. Yeah, that Shel Silverstein got into children's uh, literature through Playboy. Right. Um, which, as we all know, Playboy used to be a salon of great thinkers. It's true. I mean... Um, it's, you know, why... Well, now, you can only read it for the articles, right? Didn't they get rid of all the pictures? Oh, well, so I, I, I think just in the same way that we just went over, like, who Shel Silverstein was, for those people that don't know, I think we should go into what Playboy is for those people that don't know, because... Playboy's gone through a lot of iterations recently. It it was once a magazine, then it was a lifestyle brand, then I mean, then it was now it's then it it was a nude magazine. Yeah, it was fully nude, right? Pornography. It was, yeah, and then then it went to not nude. They decided that nude was like when was that? Oh, that was like three years ago. Oh, okay. They decided to go not nude. So they're more to be, just like a swimsuit, Sports Illustrated. Yeah, like Maxim. You know, something yeah. where it was like, you know, models posed, but they weren't, you know, there was a little mystery, a little hidden. Um, and then... and then a coy look on her face. Then they decided that didn't work, so they went nude again. And now I think they're pretty much getting to the point of phasing out the magazine altogether, but keeping the online content. Hmm. So, and again, a magazine, for those of you that don't know, used to be this uh, paper thing that was sent to you in the mail uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. It's a lot like a catalog, but uh, you pay for it. Right. Usually and you pay... more per few minutes. Yeah. And hopefully it comes. I mean, sometimes you pay for those magazine subscriptions, like when somebody knocks at your door and sells you 35 subscriptions, and then they never come. I haven't experienced this. Uh, I feel like maybe it's I've lived in the wrong places, but I've never had a like kid come up to my door and try and sell me a magazine subscription. I I I want to say that it's happened to me, but then again, I might just be borrowing from uh, from like popular culture and and forcing myself into those memories. Yeah, I, a lot of times when we talk uh, about stuff, you'll like tell me about something that happened to you, and I'm like, Gabe, that's a plot of the Wonder Years. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But remember when I did go to that carnival and I met the fortune teller and the this fortune isn't teller? Work. I haven't watched enough of the Wonder Years to recognize it. No, no, no. Wait, keep listening. And the fortune teller made me big, and I worked at an ad agency. Um, you mean the mechanical fortune? <laughs> the mechanical fortune. Teller. I'm pretty sure that was on the corner of St. Mark's and Second Avenue. Oh, is that where? Where it there was? is a Zoltar machine. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. Well, it's it's. Well, it's not that's still not, there because it. Right. That's not where it was in the. It wasn't big, there, right? <laughs> but there is one there now, and if you walk by it, I guess as a motion sensor, and it goes, you know. Uh, let me tell you your fortune. Mm. Uh, you can't see, but I did a... <laughs> he did the robot. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a robot Very fortune ad. teller. It is yeah, a robot, yeah. yes. Um, 
But yeah, uh, you know what's weird about the movie Big? Before we get into ABC, what's weird about Big? Well, the love interest in that at the end of the movie when she realizes like oh shit he turned back into a little kid how traumatic is that oh yeah yeah also that like you know tom hanks's adult character kind of seems like somebody with developmental issues you know who is this woman who's falling in love and like fucking this dude that is that is literally a 12 year old trapped in yeah. uh, an adult's body yeah like it, it seems predatory definitely and, but Even then, if she got caught up in the moment, like, and, you know, believe, and whatever, you know, just thought he was a whimsical guy, like, then when she realizes he's an actual child, oh, man, that'd mess you up. Well, yeah, like, one, for that to happen, and then two, to realize that magic is real, like, you know, and not be able to really explain it to anybody, because if you were to tell somebody then they'd think you were crazy and also a creepy predator, as we established. Well, yeah, that like, is actually weird, because for the rest she'd of She'd go her, insane. For the rest of her life, even putting aside, like, the predator stuff, for the rest of her life, she would have to be like, the most insane thing once happened to me. Yeah. And I can't, I can't even share that story with people, because nobody will believe me. Nobody. Yeah. She'd be locked up. Yeah. 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 Big is weird. Big is very weird. <laughs> but they sold a lot of uh, walkable pianos, I bet, after that movie. Yeah, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I think the whole thing was just an ad for that piano, right? Because that's it's what great people scene. really remember. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a fun scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can admit that, even yeah. now. After this conversation. So, yeah, ABZ. So, oh, yeah, ABZ. So, right. so it, you know, it's kind of like a soured version of a children's, like, A is for apple, B is for banana. Well, but wait, before we even get there, so Hugh one day goes up oh, to yeah. his cartoonist and decides, hey, we've got this untapped market for our pornographic magazine. And that market is... Little kids. And well, somehow he sells his cartoonist on this idea. And Shell... Well, he doesn't have to sell his cartoonist on it. The cartoonist is a page. Okay, the page. cartoonist is contractually obligated yeah, yeah. to start drawing cartoons to, to turn off from whatever, you know... Yeah, but it's a, it's a saucy ABCs for kids. So, you know, I think it's like geared... Towards That's adults. not my issue with it. Your issue with it is still that it's and the kids that would be interested in it are obviously like developing sexually very early. So <laughs> it's fine. It's still the market. Um, I mean, do you think this was for like teens whose dads had early subscriptions and well, you know they were they were going rifling through dads' garage? Don't know their ABCs. You know that's that's a problem. Well, but maybe like you're saying, it's less about learning the ABCs and more like how your body is changing or like, uh, like, I thought you said he didn't do Dear God, It's Me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wrote it under a pen name. 
Mm. Where we the the actual author of oh yeah that's a Judea dear dear God it's me Margaret or hello what is it hello God it's me Margaret I think it's dear God I dear think God structure oh dear letter. God it's me <laughs> Margaret um that I'm sure that messed with the levels uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> sorry everybody out there but uh yeah no no, no I think it's I. I don't think she's orgasming in the title. No, I didn't. And I don't think it's about burgeoning sexuality either. I think she gets her period and is confused She by gets it. her period, right. It's also that wasn't what the to be... Harold and the Purple Crayon is about. About getting your period. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, the famous Because the thing. Purple Crayon is actually and... a purple tampon that he's... Well... Creating... I... A world with. I... I guess, but you know, like the very common phrase of like, you know, people say like, ooh, Aunt Flo is coming to town. Right. Or she's pissing purple crayons. Right, right, you right. You know, just like delicate ways of phrasing, uh, it's that time of the month. Right. Well, you know, in, in the UK, they, they say Aunt Irma, but I don't think you can say that now after the hurricane season that we've just had. Because Aunt Irma means that your entire city is about to be decimated by uh you know gale force winds a lot of blood (laughs) (laughs) um big flow big flow yeah that's actually level five flow they go back and forth each year between male and female names or is it no 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 it's not every year you each each alternating hurricane has switches gender Mm -hmm. so if j is male as in the case of john uh, then whatever letter comes after J. M? M was Maria. So, like, you switch back and forth. You do need this book, Elemental <laughs> uh, P. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was John anyway. I think it was Juan. John Spanish Juan. for John. John Juan. John Juan. He was a... Hurricane uh, John Juan. Famous... The brother of a seducer of women. <laughs> he was the lesser brother. Like Rasanova. <laughs> he was the one who took all of the, uh, the, uh, the deuces that the other women were bringing around with them. The uh, stout fish, if you will. You know, he would take, he would take the hit. He would take the bullet. Okay. The friend. Okay. <laughs> Selling me the giving trees misogynist. <laughs> keep talking about taking a hit for his friend. So so Hugh approaches Shell and he says <laughs> trying to change the topic. Hugh approaches Shell and says Can you guys hey, believe what a gross opinion of women gave us? <laughs> Wait, we're talking about Hugh Hefner and, and I Okay. I'm the yeah, one all with right. the gross well, opinion of women. More than one person. <laughs> I'm sure you and Hugh would get along just fine. <laughs> well, you'd probably be arguing over who has to take the number you two. Can't, yeah, you can't corner the market, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, so, yeah. Hugh, Hugh has him uh, do a small version of... Uncle Shelby's ABZs, um, which then, uh, I guess, is a hit, um, and that 
Silverstein then writes into a full children's book. Right. Um, yeah, I, I have to imagine they used to sell it with like instead of those like those as seen on TV stickers, but like instead as like, read in Playboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Maybe with like a, a bunny like popping out of it, like you know, just to give a nod, you know, sort of a campy nod to the unsuspecting parents buying it. Yeah. I do, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how many parents accidentally bought this for their kids. I mean, the article, the article in Atlas Obscura definitely referenced that there were some reviews on Goodreads that stated, you know, this is not for your children made this mistake, you know, how accurate those are or truthful, uh, you know, is questionable. Yeah, but that's like Goodreads, which is mostly filled by idiots. It's funny, whenever I look at Goodreads, um, I feel like every single book has a 3.5 star on Goodreads. I mean, like, even the worst books you can think of are still a 3.5, or the best books are just somehow everything washes out to the middle on Goodreads. And yet, when I search for, like, book reviews, it's still always the top one. You mean, like, in a Google search? Yeah, in a Google search. Even though it's the least helpful of all. Yeah, I... I don't know. I, I feel like I... I rarely, like, have the title of a book before I've read a review of it. In, in the way of, like, if... You know, either, like, someone's recommended a book to me and so I go pick it up, or, you know, I've read a review mm-hmm. in something I regularly read. Right. Um, and I go pick it up. Right. But, like, it's it's not like a movie where, like, it's directly marketed to me. Right. So then I have to go suss out whether or not it lives up to the ad. Right. Kind I mean, of. for me, sometimes it's just, I'm in a bookstore, no, no, no. I know an author's name, totally but fair. I don't know which work to buy of them. I'm just so remarking I'm looking it up. Yeah. on, like, the, the re- that I was realizing I never search, you know, uh, like, I never Google, like, review for whatever, uh, just because, uh, but I do that for movies and stuff right. all the time. Right. Uh, which is just interesting. Yeah. Just, you know, that's a little piece of my life. <laughs> uh, Just some insight into Julian Ambler. Yeah, yeah, You know, I... Welcome into his mind. We all, you know, uh, follow our own path, live our own way, and uh, I find out about books mostly through word of mouth. I always love hearing about the, the beat of the drum that you live by, and I, I thank you for sharing that with us. Gabe lives vicariously through me. <laughs> um, you can't tell because this is just an audio recording, but he lives a pretty bleak life. <laughs> you know, hearing about the uh, flashy lifestyle I lead uh, definitely is pretty much the only thing keeping him uh, alive. I'm glad we're holding hands right now. It's helping a lot. It's making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Is it the sweat? Because I, I can't do anything about that. Uh, you know, it just... 
we don't need to be holding hands every time. Like I, no, I know. I move my hand. You put it back on top. It doesn't matter. It just makes the recording process so much easier for me. You know that. I sure. Um, should we uh, should we read some of this book? Oh yeah 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 yeah. All right. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna read a for you guys just to give you like a taste. A good starting place. Yeah. yeah Always yeah. a good start. A is for apple. Where yeah. A yeah. is for apple. See the nice green apple? Mm-mm, good. How many nice green apples can you eat? Make a circle around the number of nice green little apples you ate today. 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 12, 26, 38, 57, 83, 91, 116. Um, Where would you circle, Julian? I have not eaten any apples today. <laughs> There's no zero on there, I don't think. I think, you know, the... I can't actually think of the last time I ate an apple. I like green apples, but I also... I don't like apples enough that, like, I keep them in my fridge regularly, mm. which, like, just means that I never eat apples. Well, you shouldn't be keeping apples in your fridge anyway. That that makes them mealy. I feel like Granny Smith's... You don't want to them. I feel like you keep Granny Smith's in the fridge. Maybe that's true. But I also feel like Granny Smith isn't just like a real Smith. apple. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's actually Granny like... Smith is some is like is like the American cheese of apples, right? It's some like weird processed hybrid that we invented to be just like really. Well, I mean, this is my feeling on it. Oh, that it's yeah. like, it's just like perfectly green, and like and like you're saying, it's like always crisp, even when you leave it in the fridge. Like it doesn't respond naturally the way that other apples do well granny smith is the only apple i really like to be honest like you know i like other apples well enough but also like I... we never hear about the other members of the smith family yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> sorry i brought that one up like like you never see baby pigeons that's one of those uh well, Holden Caulfield style questions. You know what I do like? What's that? Uh, applesauce. <laughs> do, you, do you take it with cinnamon? I'm, you know, I'm not much of a cook. <laughs> so, you know, I just eat it straight mm. for the most part, but... Uncut applesauce. Yeah, and it's not like I eat it sure. often, because it's not like when I go food shopping, I'm like, ooh, yeah, applesauce... But, like, when it does accidentally end up in my refrigerator or, you know, I'm somewhere where there are latkes, like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, applesauce is great. When I was a kid, uh, the idea of applesauce, like, accidentally jumping into your shopping cart at the supermarket just reminded me that growing up, I thought the idea of being on, um... What was that subway, uh, uh, supermarket sweep show? Is that what it was called? The one where people would just like run around with shopping carts and throw things into their shopping cart? This is, I don't know. Oh, you don't know this show? I mean, conceptually, I feel like I, I can picture it in my head, but I don't know if that's because I've seen clips of it or because like, it just feels like what... A generation of well, because I think I think it was a cultural touchstone in that way of like of the mid '90s that like supermarket sweep was 
the uh, I don't I don't even know a game show. It, it it was the the millionaire, right? It was the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire of its oh. time. Like, I think well, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire of the nineties. Or was that the early that was 2000s? Really, I think that was the early 2000s or like late 90s. I'm talking mid-90s. But anyway, the point was, it was, you know, from what I remember of it, it was always just people dashing madly around a supermarket and throwing things into their cart. And I thought, that, I that. that looks like the most fun. And I, I want that to be in my life. And I, I want to be on this show. And then growing up, whenever I saw clips of it, I would think, that looks so depressing right now. Like, the idea that you are dashing around madly and throwing, like, oatmeal and peanut butter and jelly in your... Like, there's just something about this game show that well, no longer seems, resonates. It seems like a thing designed by, like, the elite of a society. <laughs> you know, to make the indigent dance for a week's worth of groceries. Right. Which, you know, the Price is Right sometimes has that feeling. It very much has that feeling. You know, but it's like, like, why don't you dress in something fucking ridiculous to <laughs> come down here? And, you know, you know, Bob Barker's nice enough to everybody, but also, like, all the contestants are kind of treated like jokes. Oh. And there's, like, this element of when they do win and they're so excited of, like... And Bob's oh, kind of snide about it, too. Isn't it so quaint that yeah. these, yes. these rubes... <laughs> are overjoyed to be winning a washer. Yes, look at this showcase. I, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think there was part of it that I just didn't have the perspective that I was supposed to be looking at it with a sense of, you know, ironic desperation. And instead, I was holding the contestants up as, you know... Well, it's kind of like before the gladiatorial games when they would throw <laughs> loaves of bread into the crowd and, like, people would beat the shit out of each other. But see, that's just it. That's just it. You're not supposed to want to be the slave gladiator no, like, no, no, but fighting the, for loaves. You're supposed to want to be no, the no, no, emperor. Those, those were the people in the stands they would throw the loaves to. Oh. But, you know, people love bread. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, you know, you talk to anybody who's, like, ever been on a diet and they're just like, oh, I miss bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I like bread well enough, but, like, I don't know if that's, like, the thing if I cut it out of my life. That Sorry, I... wait, one second. Can we get some extra bread over here? Another bread basket, please. Yes. Thank you. Julian wants some. That's what we call an act out. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, so, yeah, I just, bread's fine. I like a hearty bread. I like, like, a seven grain. Yeah. You know, something that would make a good avocado toast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the few things I like avocado on. Mm-hmm. I I hate avocado on sandwiches because you can barely taste oh, it. Oh, I don't think it works at all it on sandwiches. It feels almost just it's like mushy. a pad of butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, on it, your sandwich, which Well, it 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 completely detracts from the uh from the texture of the sandwich and then it adds you know, you you miss out on the special flavors of the avocado because it's like drenched in honey mustard or whatever else has been placed on the sandwich. No, it doesn't make sense there. But, you know, avocado has, like, a relatively subtle flavor to it. Which is why it needs to be, like, spotlighted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's why it works on as an avocado toast or, you know... Or just guacamole. into raw, like an apple. Guacamole doesn't really taste like avocado. It tastes like 
lime and salt and the pico de gallo that you put in it. Yeah, it's sort of a, a conveyance for those other flavors. Yeah, it's it's easier to pick up on a chip. Right. <laughs> than lime Than juice. lime salt. <laughs> Though, you know what? Hint of lime uh, Tostitos seems to have figured out how to get around. Yeah, it's uh, true. They they have broken the game. I would just straight up buy that lime salt that or the lime dust, whatever that. Oh, is. I would I would cook everything in it. I you know I would not much blacken cook, fish. But in I would it. I would cover yeah. lots of stuff. In oh yeah 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 yeah. It's like a better version of sour cream and onion. You know, it doesn't have like that onion stank to it. So I, uh, yeah, it doesn't have that. I, I have the thing of, and uh, you can tell me if this is this is your your approach too. But I have the thing of I will subtly cherry pick the most dusty of lime Tostitos chips out of the bag mm-hmm. as I'm eating them. Uh, you know, not to the detriment of anybody else. It's not about like hurting anybody else's lime Tostito game, but. I will, you know, dip my hand into that bag with an eye on a specific chip. Like, even if I have to move several chips out of the way mm-hmm. to get that one. Is that is that I where do, you're at in your... I do a similar thing. Yeah. I pull chips out, I lick them, I put them back in. <laughs> or I actually, I have I like, you know, like the little I don't bowl think that's for, the same. <laughs> that people have for like olive pits at a party. <laughs> I have a bowl of Tostitos... <laughs> I have a bowl sitting next to it. People are like, what's that empty bowl for? And I'm like, you'll see. I take it. I lick it. I put the licked toasty. Because like, <laughs> I think of the actual chip as the pit. I also, the... I really like the image that you've just concocted. Because usually with the bowl for, for olives and the pits, the pit bowl can be smaller. Because you've lost considerable olive weight on it. Mm. Um, but I like the idea that your bowls are just two enormous, like, salad bowls. Um, yeah. <laughs> that you're looking and moving chips from one to the other. I mean, and a uh, good pro tip for people out there. If you don't have two big bowls, you only have one big bowl, all you have to do, you lick it, you crush the chip, packs down much easier in the second bowl. Because remember, that chip is garbage, you're not going to eat it, it doesn't have to be intact. You can even put, like, a muddler in the bowl for people to pulverize their chicks. <laughs> yeah. Too good. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is garbage. That's a garbage chip. I know how to entertain. <laughs> so, we're going to read from another page of Uncle Shelby's ABZ's book. Do you have any particular letters that you're interested in finding out about? Julian? Well, J, because that's what my name is. Yeah, I think that's always a good way to go, is, you And know, I feel like, you know, children in a are often way. kind of like, have arbitrary favorites like that. Oh, all the time. You know, well, like, self-centered, <coughs> but poorly logic Right, right. So, J is for joke. Do you know a funny joke? Here's, here is what to say. Once upon a time, there was a traveling salesman who stopped at a farmer's house. Parenthetically, see, Daddy looks surprised. Daddy didn't know you knew a joke. And the farmer said, you'll have to sleep with my daughter. Parenthetically, see, Daddy looks funny. Daddy is sweating. 
And the salesman said, I don't want to sleep anywhere I want to, I don't want to sleep anywhere. I want to know which way it is to Kenosha. And the farmer told him and he went away. The end. Parenthetically. See, daddy is smiling. That was a very funny joke. Um, yeah, kids are bad at telling jokes. I mean, that sounds like a kid's joke. Mm-hmm. Like, I get told knock-knock jokes oh, please of tell that level so. all the time. Um, I mean, I really can't think of them, but my response is usually, yes, that does have the cadence of a joke. Because I can't fake laughter at a stupid joke. Or, or a joke that isn't a joke. Well, though actually, like... Because that would be teaching the wrong message that, like, yes, you are funny. And I don't think that people should be acknowledged for being funny when they're not. Even if they're little and cute. Kids also, though, like, the way that they, like, grow to understand funny or what they should laugh at is by structure like that. It's like... Right. Like, I remember as a kid finding things funny in the sense of, like, oh, this feels like a setup. Oh, the next thing must be the punchline, and I'm cute to laugh. Movies play on that all the time. I mean, movies made for children play on that all the time, right? They use the idea that uh, they're they're building that structure into the kid's repertoire, and also they're entertaining the parent at the same time because they're telling a joke that's over the child's head, but the kid knows to laugh because it's like, ha-ha, I know that that was the punchline. Yeah, yeah. Cause, like because you guys also stopped like talking another... and you did a scene change. I know that that's my laugh moment. Or the other character like turns to him and cocks an eyebrow. Right. So it's like, oh, I know he said something inappropriate. Or there's like a musical cue that goes along with it. You know, the like wah wah. wah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> How do you say wah wah? <laughs> I mean, that's that's why I always enjoyed and laughed at Animaniacs, even though I don't think... Oh, there's definitely stuff in Animaniacs that, like, now I only get looking back. Oh, I, I, I can easily say that there were... Uh, I probably got 15% of what Animaniacs was actually doing, and that even, even as, like, a 19-year-old watching, there are references I wouldn't have gotten. Yeah. I still probably was only at 50% at 19. I mean, I think it, I don't know how old I was, but I was, at a certain age, I realized, like, how funny it was that they're, like, abandoned orphans. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, we should probably do uh, your your name, G. I'd almost rather do Z. If that's all, or should we save Z for the end? Z might be the third letter. Oh, Z is the third. Let's do Z because I'm curious how Z fits after hearing. Let's a. see if there's two Z's. Is there a Z all the way in the back too? Uh, just a moment. W. Sorry, that's right. Julian does have to recite the ABCs to get. No, C is the last letter. C is the last letter. C and Z are. So then I think we should do Z right now. I would love that. The third letter. Z is for zoo. Let's go to the zoo. See all the animals. The animals are locked inside the cages. Poor animals. Who will let them out? See the elephant in the zoo. 
Give the nice elephant some peanut shells with pepper inside. That'll be a good joke on him. <laughs> the elephant is mad, but don't worry. By tomorrow, the elephant will have forgotten all about it. Elephants are stupid. <laughs> that last line, that's that's a punch-up by me. <laughs> oh, there's more. But Oh, yeah, go. Poor hippopotamus. The hippopotamus has a bone stuck in his throat and can't get it out. Poor hippopotamus. The hippopotamus has no fingers like you do. Poor hippopotamus. Say, maybe he's not a real hippopotamus after all. Maybe he's really a royal prince that's been turned into a hippopotamus by a wicked witch. And when some person takes the bone out of his throat, the spell will be broken. And he will turn back into a prince again and give whoever did it a million dollars in gold and a horse and a castle. See the hippopotamus in the zoo. Woo. It's Wait. There's it's more? more? It's all the zoo. I love Z! <laughs> See the nice tiger in the zoo. The tiger is peeking out of the grass at you and say, there is no grass in the zoo. Where are the iron cages? There are no cages. Hey, th this is no zoo. This is the jungle. And all those wild animals are loose. And you'd better run fast. <laughs> okay. And then it goes into a song. Oh, okay. Um, it's... I guess I'll just sing it. Um, A, B, Z, D, E, F, G, J, I, H, K, L, M, L, N, O, P, Q, R, S, V, U, T, W, and X, Y, C, Oh, how happy I will be when I learn my ABZs. And that's copyrighted 1961 by Uncle Shelby. I mean, it's it's really incredible that you were able to read the tune of it because it, it was written uh, on on treble clef in the book, too. Yeah. And you've, you've never read that book before, right? <laughs> I see. All the notes are on exactly the same line. <laughs> um, no, not all of them. The last B... <laughs> It's lower. It's lower, yes. That's the drop. Um, it's it's really incredible how uh, how not different any of his other poems and or books are than this one. Even considering this one is written for adults or it's it's an adult primer, uh, as it states on the cover. All of the sentiments are very much the same as many of his books for children. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's just like the way he was always going to be, or if that has something to do with this being his first commercial success, um, you know, outside of his Playboy work. Yeah, you think he was shaped by the market. I'm I'm wondering, yeah, like it's entirely possible if he would have been a a, a different writer uh, had this not been his first experience with notoriety. Yeah, uh, I mean, he could have gone on to be like one of those guys that draws pictures of the Simpsons fucking each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he was a cartoonist for Playboy. He was a cartoonist for Playboy, yes. Yeah, he could have done, like, cartoons of, you know, 
sexual cartoons of like Disney characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, somewhere between art. He could have invented deviant art. You know, before you the website, it was a real thing, or just the idea of it, like, well, like of that. I feel kind like of... the website has more just like anime shit on it than anything else. It doesn't. It's not that deviant. No, it's it is a misnomer. It's like a moody drawing of like a tree. <laughs> but yeah, okay, and that's different from the giving tree. How? Well, I'm just saying that like. What's deviant? <laughs> like, you hear deviant art and you're expecting something, well, at least a little. So then I think we're in agreement then that if Shel Silverstein had invented deviant art, it would be significantly more deviant and apropos. Well, perhaps so, but also, like, Shel Silverstein, and when he wrote this, was around the same time that, like, artists like R. Crumb and stuff were becoming popularized in comics. Uh, you know, like, alternative comics and, like, Zapped and stuff like that. Right. That the... That this is an era of, like, truly disgusting, deviant cartoons. Yeah. Right. Fritz the Cat is, like, a rapist. Right. And, uh... I get, like, a rapist Garfield, basically. I mean, he has a sunnier disposition than Garfield, but, <laughs> but like, it, which is like, really what counts. I just mean that, like, uh, there's all this Bukowski esque uh, cartoonism going on in the '60s that maybe, like, within that landscape, this really is a kids' book. Well, let's read more and find out. All right, what should we do next? Um, well, do G. Okay, we're doing G for G for Gabriel. Well, this 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 will be a good test then of how much for kids this is. <clears throat> I'm looking at the G page, and the first thing I see is uh, is that a a recorder or a, an oboe? Um, what instrument would you? What wind instrument would you call that? Is it a clarinet? Oh yes, that's it. It's a clarinet. You're right. That's a clarinet. So it's a picture of a clarinet, and it says, G is for gigolo. See the pretty gigolo? The gigolo makes beautiful music. The next time your mommy goes shopping, ask her to buy you a gigolo. She will tell all the neighbors how cute you are, and she will write it in the Reader's Digest, and they will print it and send you money. Um, I'm embarrassed to ask... Is there an instrument called the gigolo? I don't. I don't think there's an instrument called the gigolo. What's a piccolo look like? Um, I mean, I guess it could look something like this picture of what you and I agree is clarinet esque. So maybe it's a, a piccolo, and the idea is that it's. It sounds like Jiggle. So do we need to go to P then and find out if P and G have somehow been switched? I mean, you can try. Oh, let's try. Let's see if P maybe makes more sense. Uh, P is P for... is for papist. <laughs> P is for pet parade. So no, I don't think this is a uh, a switcheroo. No, I'm not saying in the book. I think the well, like, that's the way that like kids about. will, you know. Uh, sub in 
a one word for another that sounds like it. Like a, or, uh, like when I was a kid, I pronounced the word integral as integral. Right. Like the, the, you know, one of those things where like, it's like, oh, do you mean blah, blah, blah. Right, but in your example... Or, like, my sister used to call hippopotamuses hoopamamas, right? Because she just couldn't say hippopotamus. But still, but still in, both, in both examples, there's almost no substitutions of any kind. It's, yeah, it's a changing of the sounds that already exist, but... Well, there was a short period where I called trucks, like, when I was a little kid, fucks. I said, look at the fuck. Right, right. And so... I like fucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or I love fucks, is what you used to scream. I don't know if I would say love. That, I don't know. You don't hear a lot of little, like, two-year-olds describe the things they like as things they love. Right. Because, like, at that point, love is, like, a categorically different thing. Right? right. It's not a, an intensity of enjoyment. It's like, you love people. You like dessert but for your for your second birthday you did ask specifically for two fucks i i want two fucks right two has fucks yes i want two has fucks <laughs> the has fucks back and it's better than ever for christmas that's how it goes yeah 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 <laughs> i think at two though i probably wouldn't have been aware of uh has trucks no I don't, Does I, Hess as a, a uh, gas station still exist anymore? I don't think Hess is in the gas game anymore. I think they only make toy Plus trucks. trucks. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, in truth, I believe they might have merged with 17 other uh, petrol agencies, but then decided that even though they no longer exist uh, as a, an institution, as a named institution... They would still just make Hess trucks, which, I mean, I don't know. Growing up, I didn't understand the appeal of the Hess truck at all, and well, it's that there are commercials on, and TV taught me to want. Right, I mean, I guess what I understood was that, but I never wanted a Hess truck. I just understood that once I heard the jingle, I couldn't unhear the jingle, like yeah. the like the I don't cars think I ever... for kids or. Salino and Barnes, like, they sold a great jingle, but they didn't sell me on a truck. Six, 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 six. <laughs> for, for your satanic car service needs. Yeah. Call no, Carmel. Yeah, I don't think I ever particularly wanted a Hess truck, but I do remember the experience of, like, wanting things just because I saw commercials of them, and then sometimes getting those things and, like, being like, oh... I didn't want this at all. So I was I was a child who uh, was deprived of things. No, no, no. I, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I was deprived. Um, but I was a child who who definitely had a similar experience and got into the habit of saying no matter what I saw on television, I like I want that. Like buy me that. Um, what about? And my parents got into the habit of saying like they they started to placate me and they would they learned to say. 
They learned that if you just put it off for me, that my attention span or my memory wasn't good enough that I would really remember that I didn't have it or care later on. So they would start saying, I'll buy you that later. And then that changed my language into being instead of buy me that or I want that, I would start just asking, buy me that later. Mommy, buy me that later. Mm-hmm. Buy me that later. You know, I picked that up. Yeah, when my... And then all they had to do was just nod or say yes. Like, it was a very effective strategy to getting the instant gratification that I wanted. I didn't get more toys for it, but... Yeah, I... I wish I could remember specific examples um, from when I was little about, like... They're just things that looked so fun in commercials that... When you got it, it was just really like, just such a flimsy thing or a thing that like you'd have to get a certain level of competent with it in order for it to become fun. Like I never had a pogo stick as a kid, but that seems to me like a thing where that's it's a like, definite example. Yeah, yeah, like it's like ooh, look at the kid bouncing around in that commercial, which I like nearly really impossible to use. I can't actually remember a commercial for pogo <laughs> sticks, but like, but then like I could imagine really wanting one. Well, I think it was a thing that we were made to want even though you can't identify a commercial yeah. for it. Like, and then though, like, you get, like, you get it and it's like, oh, I, this isn't instantly fun. And right. And sort of not having the real patience. You know, it's a fault of mine. It's like, maybe, I don't, I don't think I ever had to skip it, but that's a thing that I remember seeing the ads for and being like, oh, look how much fun they're having. And then, like, you interact with a Skip It, because I'm sure I had a friend who had one. Oh, yeah. This is... (laughs) Fun. And it would... I mean, Skip It was the origin of the Fitbit, right? Because it would go around, and it would count how many times it went around, and then you would just look at it afterwards and feel, like, ashamed and embarrassed. Oh, God, isn't there... Something else that like is that not what you were up. thinking of? Or no, no, there I'm was another this... thing that counted up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what it was. <clears throat> That's like that I remember. I remember when I was a little kid, I was terrible at jumping rope. <laughs> but there was some other toy that like counted up as you hmm. did a, successfully did a physical action. And I can't remember what it was. That sounds right. It's not. It's not Simon. But Simon was one of those things that did did just feel like a shaming toy for children because we never had simon we had bop it you had bop it yeah which was like bop it squeeze it uh it was like annoying Flick simon it. yeah um do you remember the it's com- like the cranium of simon it was <laughs> both in crazy color yeah and, yeah in branding um do you remember so that speaking of like wanting things but not not having any actual desire for it, just being convinced that you wanted it. Do you remember at all the game Crossfire or the commercials for the Crossfire? Crossfire was the greatest commercial I have ever seen. And I I recommend that everybody look up the commercial for the board game Crossfire. It was the, the, if I can paint you a picture, the image was two children, I believe all dressed in black with flame all around them just animated flame and in between them is the board game crossfire so it gave you the impression that like 
lives hang in the balance. Possibly the future of the universe is at stake here on this game of Crossfire. The game itself did not seem to make any sense whatsoever. It was something along the lines of air hockey where you were trying to like shoot little metal ball bearings at some object in the center and get them into the other person's goal. I don't know. It had a great catchy song to it and it always made me want not only to buy the board game Crossfire, but also then to watch the television talk show CNN's Crossfire. Crossfire. CNN's Crossfire. Yeah. Because I convinced myself that anything named Crossfire must be fucking insane. That was with Carl Tuckerson, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was the other guy? can't remember. Uh... I don't know. I just always associate... For some reason, I always associate Chris Matthews with it, too. But... I don't think... He, he wasn't... He wasn't actually. No. He came later for Hardball. I feel like I didn't... Uh, I wasn't even really aware of Crossfire until there was that famous Jon Stewart clip. Oh, yes. That is the best clip of all time. Yeah. Look that up, too. Look up the Crossfire Jon Stewart clip and Crossfire the board game. Though... With the John Stewart clip, I actually think today it would feel much less potent. Oh no, it wouldn't hold up. Yeah, because there's a th- it's definitely dated. Because like he's pointing out like earlier stages in the decay of our discourse, um, in a in a way where like now everybody on TV is just like doing some version of the John Stewart play. Oh yeah, like, totally. How is this happening? Right. But he did kill that show. I mean, like, it's my understanding that he, that that one interview just completely destroyed that show. And you know what's kind of fascinating about, like, Tucker Carlson is that he's, like, he was, you hear from people in the media industry that he was, like, brilliant. Like, as a young guy. And sort of as someone like floating around in uh, conservative conservative intellectual circles, he was just profoundly thoughtful and like had really interesting takes and uh, was a potential like leader, you know, intellectual leader of the movement or whatever. Um, and his de-evolution into like. The gas bag that he is now, I mean, is both like a fascinating story of you know just the economy of uh, right-leaning media personalities, and also you know something about his story. Um, I'd be like super fascinated to like see a documentary about the the evolution of Tucker Carlson. Because I think there's there's way more... He's a way more interesting person than he has... He or the market has allowed him to be. I, I would believe that that's true of a lot of members of the popular media. That, that like... Uh, the, I think... Well, that I, the characters that they wind up creating and, and wearing on television wind up being so much less nuanced and interesting and 
intelligent than the actual people that they are behind those masks. Yeah, I but like someone like Sean Hannity, I, I highly doubt. I'm not saying it's true for everybody. Yeah, no, no. It just it's there's but you you become branded, you yeah, know, yeah. and and then the brand rides all. Yeah. Anyway, give me a letter. Uh, let's do I really feel like we got to do K. K is for ketamine. Fall in that hole. K is for K-hole. Oh. K is for kidnapper. See the nice kidnapper? The kidnapper has a lollipop. The kidnapper has a keen car. The car can go fast. Tell the nice kidnapper that your daddy has lots of money. Then maybe he will let you ride in his car. It's question... Oh, never mind. I went on to the next page I wasn't supposed to. That's okay. Um, yeah, that's my favorite so far. I, I, I think that one nails it. Although, I do think that, uh, you know, speaking of uh, being being dated as the, uh, the Jon Stewart clip, I feel like that one actually is relatively dated in that the the suggestion is that the kidnapper is kidnap or the kidnapper oh, with candy money. is kidnapping you not for money, not to rape you, right? Not a sexual predator, which yeah. I think in the post catch a predator age we would understand that that letter would be more fitting under P. Well, yeah, I think it's part of it is that like you know as we slowly edge our way towards the apocalypse, we're moving to our new economy where like money has no value. And the only thing that is currency are sexual favors. Yeah. But what's nice about that is it's a renewable resource. Right. So in some ways it's better than money. Right. Degrading Uh, yourself. You can forever (laughs) degrade yourself. Yes, yes. I think think that is one of the the circles of hell that we're slowly sliding into, right? Is the self-sustaining sexual economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. The... Of perversity. Yeah. It's a shame that it doesn't, like, that it's ephemeral. It would be great if, like, well, I guess you could have sex with somebody and it produces food in a way, if you're willing, if it were, you know, in a The Road-esque uh, apocalypse. Mm-hmm. People are eating babies. Right. Right. But it isn't the most efficient way of generating I believe, food. I believe from some reviews, there, is, there are references to cannibal cannibalism in ABZs in this very book. I don't know I don't know if or how we could find them. Oh, we were talking about currency. Should we do M, which oh, is for money? If M is for money, we've got you gotta show me the money, Julian. M is for money. Mommy and daddy always fight about money. Money is the root of all evil. See the money. The money is green. The mummy the money is in mommy's purse. Take the bad, bad money out of the purse and send it to P.O. Box 42, St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> then Mommy and Daddy will be happy. I think my line readings on some of these are wrong. Uh, I, I don't know about wrong. I don't know if you can be wrong in this. I think uh, you, you got to read them the way you feel them. This is quickly becoming my favorite book. Just of all time. And what was your favorite book before this? Uh, it was Franny and Zoe. But I, I think this, this might be overtaking it. Oh, I want to do S. Okay, do S. 
S has two of them. Do you want to do the first one and I'll do the second? That sounds good. All right. So S is for spit. The champion spitter of the United States of America is Ronald Bogash, age 11, of 224 Morton Street, Cleveland, Ohio. Ronald spit all the way from the kitchen to the living room. 23 feet, 6 and 3 quarter inches. Who will be the new champion? All right. S is also for Stanley. Stanley is a crazy murderer who likes to murder little boys and girls early Sunday morning. Are you afraid of Stanley? You are? Well, then, quick, jump out of bed and go to sleep with Mommy and Daddy. There isn't that better. Mommy and Daddy love to have you sleep with them. <laughs> so I, I, I think we were saying before this, uh, before this recording, we were... We were talking about uh, Shel Silverstein, and you might have mentioned something about our our feelings that he, in general, just hated children. Um, I, I think that that poem is is an example of that, and not only hated children, hated parents too. Like this, that that is real torture to uh, to whatever parent then has to experience the. You know, irrational fear of Stanley, the neighborhood murderer, coming and stabbing you in your sleep. What's also funny is that I read the spit page and had no idea that the next page was about murdering. Yeah, it's, it definitely he just, jumps. He weaves it so seamlessly together. See, T is for TV. See the nice TV? The TV is warm. The TV is funny. The TV is sad. The TV loves you. Do you know uh, there are li- little elves who live inside the TV? The elves can dance. The elves can sing. The elves can tell jokes. If you take Daddy's hammer and break open the TV, you'll see the funny little elves. What will you name them? A lot of this is about like just ruining your parents' lives. Exactly, right. It's, it's getting back to that thing of hating. It, like, well, I think it's punishing people for having children. Yeah, definitely. I think there's also, but I think he also has some, like, punishing people for, like, existing in society, too, right? Like, like break open the TV is not just punishment for having children. It's also punishment for, like, having material values. No? Like, yeah, move to a sex economy. Exactly. Which is where we're at now, and I think we can thank Shel Silverstein in part for getting us there. You know, this was written in what, like... 1959, I want to say. I thought it was 61, but... Uh, It might have been published in 61. Mm. Yeah. Um, So, I I really think that this... This might be a cornerstone of... Yeah, you can trace it all back. This is the... Shel Silverstein put us on the road to fucking Trump. Exactly. Wow. It's nice to find the root cause of things. Mm Mm-hmm. It's good to just point at something and say, like, there, that was it. The ABZs. L is also for lie. Do you want a nice red lollipop? Go pour all the lie into the toilet. Now tell mommy you've eaten the lie. That's a fib or a little white lie. Mommy will take you to the doctor in a taxi cab. 
After the doctor pumps out your stomach, he will give you a nice red lollipop. See, I I said this was I shared that this was becoming my new favorite book, but you keep reading from it. I hey, feel can like you stop you're... revving your rice rocket. I... <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just I just love the feeling of it between my thighs. Um, I feel like you're enjoying it even more than I am. Uh, yeah, I like to read. This I is, don't know. I have a, a rich interior in life. Um, I'm a literary type. Were you an Edward Gorey fan growing up? I mean, I think like I read one or two, but I don't think it was ever like... You know, I think there was a brief period where I like liked Tim Burton movies and yeah. as a corollary, like yeah, read yeah, some yeah. Edward Gorey, but yeah. I, I was never dark enough. Right. Like, I... You know, I think pretty quickly, like, Edward Gorey stuff seemed a little like... I don't in the same way that, like, Banksy seems kind of shallow in his critiques. I, yeah. Yeah. I know. Not that, like... I'm not suggesting that Edward Gorey was saying that the stuff he was doing was, like, deep, but it's, like, a pretty uh, thin satire, I guess. But you also have such a, like, visual, artistic bend, too. I wonder how much his, uh, you know, sort of unchanging style might have just, you know, bored your uh, young, I don't know, fervent mind. There are plenty of artists I like who had a consistent style. Like, the thing is, I don't think I ever liked Edward Gorey, particularly for the artwork in it. Right. Like, it wasn't, like, bad. It just wasn't, like, the stuff I gravitated towards. Um, But I think at first it was like, oh, this is, like, a fun faux children's book thing and then you know I yeah just was never was never super into it yeah it's it's funny because I I think the the connection between Gory and and Tim Burton is is such an you know apparent one to make but you know to me like I think Gory's consistency you know really holds integrity and resonates with me whereas like I think we later just realized that Tim Burton was just a fucking hack you know and like he just didn't have any stories to really tell and that's why he hid I know I really like The Nightmare Before Christmas yeah but that was like 35 years ago now it can't be that old no it can't be that old but it in in directorial uh, age, which I believe is a dog's age, right? Like every every movie you make is actually like seven movies in between. Um, yeah, the so. development process is very long. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this business. Ugh. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other Tim Burton movies that I might like. I never was a huge fan of Edward Scissorhands, though I know a lot of people no, like that. No, it's... Yeah. Um, what are other Tim Burton There isn't movies? really oh, anything Ed to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, Edward is a story of minor interest Ed Wood in Hollywood. 
uh, Ed Wood, I, I admire in the sense of like, I feel like every creative person uh, has a secret fear that they're going to find out they're Ed Wood. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, totally. I, I think that, that that really works for playing on that insecurity. I think if Lobo really... Exists, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I... Oh, sorry. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. The obligatory cell phone call mid-podcast. I don't know who this is. It's from Elizabeth... New Jersey, should I answer it? Oh no, nothing Nothing good has ever come out of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Okay, I'll let them leave a message. And if they don't, then they don't. Sorry for all you fans from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Yeah, I think as a, as a child I convinced myself that I liked Tim Burton because of the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Oh! But in oh. fact, I really just like Batman. And those happen to be the only Batman movies of the time. Well, now that there are other Batman movies, what's your favorite Batman movie? Um, I mean, the I have to say, The Dark Knight is I I think I can watch that over and over again, and it still holds up. Um, it holds up. It holds up. Uh, but The Batman Returns really just has some great hidden value to it. So that's with Catwoman mm. and Penguin? And it is Catwoman, Penguin, and then you've got the business side with um, Christopher Walken. Um, because at, which he pushes I, her out the window. He's the one who pushes her out the window. But he's also like the evil, you know, millionaire who's trying to, like, dominate the city. And he's the one pushing Penguin for mayor as a puppet mayor. And I think that that really worked for a lot of, uh, a lot of the stuff behind Batman that that Christopher Nolan then tried to get at, which was you know it's about like organized crime and money more than it is about super villainy. So yeah, but it's also good when you've got like Halloween and Christmas, and you've got like just weird fucking crazy clowns coming out that the Batmobile can take out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman Returns is winning on all fronts. Uh, Batman movies versus Batman the Animated Series. Oh, Batman the Animated Series is terrific. Better than the movies. Probably, yeah. That that animated series from the 90s was so dark and scary. Okay. Uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movies versus Batman Beyond. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, my boy, my boy, uh, fuck, what's his name? Is it like Drake McGuire? Now I can't remember Batman Beyond's name. Oh, it's the, not Bruce Wayne. Yeah, name? the character's name. Yeah, Bruce Wayne is his mentor. Bruce is the mentor, right. Bruce is like 175 years old or something. Um, yeah, I mean, I gotta go, I gotta go Chris Nolan. It's pretty close though. It's a lot closer than you'd think. Because what was lacking for me in both the Chris Nolan and the Batman Beyond was the detective work. It seemed to always come down to just, like, punching people in the face mm. in both of those. Do any of the movies have detective work? I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a lot of detective work in the, in the first Batman with Michael Keaton. He spends a lot of time, like, 
sitting behind computers and watching TV screens. Yeah. Well, the in the um, in at the end of Batman Begins. Yeah. Remember he he uh, detect or rather. Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Uh, well, not out, commissioner. He's like know, a captain then captain, or something. Whatever. Gordon pulls out in an evidence baggie a Joker card and shows it to the Batman. And so, like, that's that's showing an evolution of detective work. That's a clue. But by who? Like, that's that's of Commissioner or Captain Gordon then. I'm just saying they, they did the legwork. They did. <laughs> they did. They, they, yeah, yeah. they planted something. Um... Yeah, I. Are they doing a solo Batman movie with Ben Affleck, or is it just gonna be Justice League things? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> it looks like I, you know, I don't know how you can come back from the Batman vs Superman. Batman vs Super. Well, not just Batman vs Superman, but like you're saying, the the progression that they've already built is Batman vs Superman. Justice League, like, how do you dial it back and then just have a solo campaign, you know? The stakes well, no. are already so high that... I see what you mean. Like, that, you know... How okay. satisfying would it be if there was just a Batman versus Penguin movie after you've had the Justice League? But, yeah, but they've done, like, uh, with... They've done the Avengers movies and then done, gone back to doing Iron Man movies and Thor movies and... Stuff like that. Yeah, they have, but they. I. I feel like Marvel put the legwork in by doing the individual movies before they ever did the mashup, and with yeah, the thing this they... iteration of Batman. I mean, look, they didn't even make a fucking Flash movie or an Aquaman movie. Well, like... I think the reason though. So, like, you're right that the Batman one a solo movie might be hard to do on its own. I could see them doing a Batman Wonder Woman movie on its own but the I think the Flash and Aquaman and Cyborg could end up with their own individual movies because it isn't like the Justice League at least from the ad I saw it's like they're like oh I've never been a superhero before you need me to come and save the world that then it's like okay now I'm gonna go off to my city and continue this superhero work it, it tickles me to no end, and, and you you at home should really know this, that neither one of us have seen any of the movies we're now talking about. Well, yeah, it's not out yet. Well, but have you seen Batman vs. Superman? No, but I've read right? reviews. <laughs> right? Same here. Have you seen... I think you have seen Wonder Woman, right? Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I saw Wonder Woman. So I didn't see Wonder Woman. So, I mean, we're really talking from a true place of ignorance with yeah, regards to I these put, movies. I put a wig on and went to one of the women-only screenings. I'm so glad you did That's that. That's not true. I just told them that I identified as a woman. I used to think, uh, back when I was a member of the Roadrunners Club of New York, I used to think about joining the, the Mini Marathon, which is a reference to mini skirts and is one of the women's-only event races but also counts as a marathon qualifier. Mm. Um, you just demolish. <laughs> I think that was the point, yeah, was that I'd wear a miniskirt in the tradition, and then, right, just... I mean, I, this is blow purely... It out. Like, uh, statistically, are women marathon runners dramatically slower than 
yes. men's times. Yes. So like an Olympic gold medal man would be about two hours, right? Sure. Yep. How long would an Olympic gold medal uh, woman's marathon be? Uh, more than 10 minutes behind. Which I guess in that time range is, is a very big difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're talking a dozen or more minutes. And again, right, in, in, marathon, in Olympic marathons and, and things of that nature, yeah, the difference is seconds, right? In track and field, it's, it's inches and seconds. So. But the difference, I imagine, is more dramatic in the shorter races and the sprints. Oh, yeah, definitely. And actually, it's funny you say that because, right, marathon is close where where women match up and can even be on top of the men is when you get into the ultra marathon range mm. where women there's part of that is just like having shitloads of long muscle fiber long muscle like fiber weighing as little as you possibly can long muscle fiber efficient bodies right efficient body weight like you're talking about and then just like a fuck ton mm, of grit that girl too. An efficient <laughs> that's that's how you like to be spoken of, but just like fucking grit too. That like, there's you know there's that there's that old adage in athletics of like you can't coach speed, right? So like if you're fast, you're fast. Or like yeah, that's an adage. Or you can't coach height, right? So like if you want a center in basketball, you get the tall guy. You can't like coach a four foot eleven person to be a good center in basketball it's just not going to work but you can coach grit or you can build grit up right and you can build endurance up and so those are the races the ultra marathons you know the things of you know 50 to 250 miles like their bodies are better built for endurance and like they can build on that more quickly and they're right they're like in the way that a gold medal marathon runner it wouldn't matter how much you practice and how much grit you had you'd never be able to run like them never period you happen to be talking to one of the The grittiest people one of one of the two dozen people to have a subscription to trail runner magazine so I know that there are trail runners and ultra marathoners out there that just like you're talking about are complete freaks of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Who have that that insane born ability to uh, recover faster than anybody else, to you know generate the muscles that we're talking about, like and and you know generate the long fibers that we're talking about in better ways and more efficient ways and more rapidly and it's almost unfair i mean it is unfair like you i i I can't if life was a measurement of if life was a measurement of fairness um but i i uh, i can't remember his name but i was reading about one the other day who has just who went from being like a non-runner at all to you know, within five years, qualifying for the Boston Marathon, qualifying for, like, Marathon Olympics, setting, like, world records in both, like, uh, trail running miles and, you know, fastest times on treadmills and just all these things. Everything. And the reason is, like, just because he can physically run these things and then the next day not be completely wrecked. 
and can run it again. And so yeah, his yeah. body just gets better and stronger all the time where everybody else is recuperating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody else has the flu for five days. <laughs> um, everybody else is doping. You, what's interesting to me, uh, which like seems sort of like almost like no other sport um, with like running, distance running, you never train at the lengths that you're going to actually run, right? Yeah. Like that, you know, with a lot of other things, you like put on weights or whatever. You make things more complicated and more difficult. Like you play two hours of basketball to get well enough to play one hour. Yeah, in because a game. then you know, or like, forty minutes, you're not going to get tired, right? By the end of one hour, or like. Uh, yeah. I don't know. You handicap yourself in some way that means that, like, when you lift that handicap off, everything will feel easy. Right. Right? Uh, whereas, you know, with running, you just... Well, specifically distance running, I yeah. think. You it know, is. It is specifically distance yeah. running that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, it, uh, the longest training runs you get to are, like, maybe two-thirds of the length of your actual races. No, you'll go. You'll go three quarters. Whatever. You'll you go. Know what I, yeah. My point is just. But I know like, what you're saying, right? Um, I guess that's also because, like, I mean, form does matter, but like, part of it is that it's, uh, it's a sport that's that has less complex. Um, you're not like balancing as many disparate things. Whereas, like, let's say I'm training for hockey, right? Mm-hmm. Like. If I use a weighted stick, or I don't know what people would use, but like I, I handicap myself in some way that then when I go in and everything's easier, it like my mind gets less exhausted. Yeah. And I'm better at paying attention to plays and the puck mm-hmm. and whatever, and it makes me overall a better player. Whereas with running, um, it's not like. It's not, it, it's not in every moment you're reacting to specific things, right? So your mind doesn't have to stay fresh in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably also that, like, the risk of overtaxing and injuring yourself by doing the full distance. Definitely. Um, but it is... But I think also the, the, better, the better example than, than a sport like hockey for what you're talking about would be, like, talking about, like, Olympic weightlifting, right? So, like, in Olympic weightlifting, you would get close or you would lift the exact weight in training that you intend to lift in the competition, right? And you would, you might lift more, I don't know, but, like, you're going to lift that weight to train your body to do that thing. And what you're saying is you don't, you don't run that many miles to train your body to do it. You run something short of that many miles and then you trust that in the race, you're going to get those extra six or four or whatever number it is afterwards. But I actually, that... I bet you, I bet you, like, Olympic weightlifters, when they train, I bet you they keep to weights that, like, they don't have to exert every last little bit of energy. I bet you that they do actually do so something So you're saying similar. it is the same. Yeah, I bet you actually that might be one of the few areas that's similar because the thing is like the only time. Then I have you to pat myself to... on the back for another great analogy. Well, just the only time game. you want to f- 
you know, uh, risk injury and fully tap into every little thing possible is but I think that's just it. Day. But I think that's just it. So when you're when we're talking about practicing for hockey and we're talking about practicing at basketball, when you're in practice, you're not coming anywhere near the actual effort that you would put forth in a game. So even if you're practicing for five hours on end, there are plenty of plays that you're dogging it at. And there's mental energy that you're not even nearly exhausting. But when it's running, right, or when it's weightlifting, like we're saying, you can't half-ass it. Like, they're, because it's simply just your muscles and your body at work, there is no, no other gear, right? I mean, there are other speeds, certainly. But like, like we're saying... You you could you could play basketball for seventeen hours and not injure yourself, if all you're doing is like just taking jump shots, right? Well, but yeah. You but... can't run for seventeen hours and not injure yourself if you're training for you know a seventeen hour run. Like, it just wouldn't equate. Um, that makes sense. Do you want to take us out with uh, the last letter in the book? I think we've got to read C. So this yeah. is the ABZs, Uncle Shelby's ABZs, brought to you by Shel Silverstein, uh, the Dull Crayons, and, and Hugh Hefner. And Hugh Hefner. I wonder and, if he got a piece of this. And book. the letters T I T S. Um, do we think he got a piece? I mean, I don't know. No, it's Simon and Schuster. It depends on what Silverstein's contract was with. You know, yeah. The IP. Anyway, let's, well, right. let's just, yeah. Well, we're sticklers for IP, as as you recall from the last episode. So we'll have to research that later. Yeah. And find out how much Hugh was actually stealing from Shell for his property. Yep. Because if it was first published in in Playboy, as yeah, so many Norman Mailer stories were. Mm-hmm. Salon of ideas. <laughs> C is for Cyclops. Isn't Cyclops a funny-looking giant? Cyclops only has one eye. Go over and play with Cyclops. Cyclops loves to play. Go stick your finger in his eye and call him One-Eye. I will wait here for you. And then there's one page afterwards. Surprise! Because you have been good and because your Uncle Shelby loves you, tomorrow you can stay Home from school. No school tomorrow. Warning. It is not nice to burn books. It is against the law. If your mommy or daddy tries to burn this book, call the police on them. Signed, Uncle Shelby. Uh, cool. Yeah. An interesting note to end on because uh, there are... Shel Silverstein books that have made it onto certain banned book lists. What are they? I mean, I think they're they're just the normal books. I I don't even know if they are the ABZs because I don't know if the ABZs are well known did enough. Shel Silverstein write Harry Potter? He did. He wrote the Harry Potter books um, along with Dear Fucking God, it's me, Margaret. Um, both of which have been placed on the Do you banned mean, book uh, list. Uh, Oh, it's me, oh, Margaret. It's a very sexy book. There was that. There was that There's version. There's another too. Playboy book. No. 
I do love that Margaret series, the way they just, they kept playing with, you know, the different ages of Margaret and, and her sexual experience, right? Uh, you know. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> but no, yeah, he's on the band book list. I mean, fucking Eric Carl is on the band book list, too. Because... Uh, and we know what a loser he is. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Though being on the band book list is pretty cool. I definitely think it, it makes you look cool. Yeah. It's like you get to wear shades, but for a book. Yeah. Exactly. You get to put those glasses on. Well, uh, goodbye. I think that's going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can find Uncle Shelby's ABZs at uh, most retailers of books. Uh, like, The Gap doesn't sell it. But, uh, but yeah, check it out. Or don't. I don't know. I'd say it's worth buying a used copy. Uh, Before you do anything, definitely look up the 